The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town. Only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, if you really are one of these people, that put out on Facebook or wherever the hell it is. Luckily, I had things going on this weekend, and I'm not even replying to that crap. If you think Bob Melvin and Billy Bean should be fired, you're a moron. You literally, and I want all of you, I want all of you who are listening right now, tell those people, I'm not reacting to that because I don't have time for that garbage. I want all of you who are listening right now to tell them I said they're effing morons. You think someone else is going to come in here and win? You think someone else is going to come in here and deal with all the issues that you have to deal with and is going to win? You remember what it was like before Bob Melvin was here? You remember the Bob Guerin era? You've been to the playoffs five out of the last eight years. You want to bring someone in that doesn't understand how to win and how to win in a – it takes special people to win here. I know you guys all – oh, Oakland is so great. Oh, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, bring somebody else in. You want to, you, you, you want to go through that? You want to go back to getting your ass kicked? Stop it. You've been to the playoffs – 10 out of the last 20 years because of Billy Bean. You want you want to you want to go get some young MIT kid who doesn't get it, who's just going to be all about the numbers and bring Really? That's not good enough for you guys? I get it. You want to go deeper in the playoffs and I think this team is. Sometimes you have to learn from your failures. But you want to replace these guys who get you the playoffs all the time? the hell's wrong with you get off facebook get off twitter you don't know what you're talking about i, I couldn't believe i had people contacting me this week and saying can you believe that people ace fans are saying this and oh by the way ace fans you 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 just heard the promo of the commish right the commissioner told libby Schaff and whoever this kaplan person is he straight told them You better drop the lawsuit or you may lose your team. Then I got the, oh, it's Oakland. Oakland's so great, huh? If Oakland's so great, why the hell did they lose the NBA? If Oakland's so great, why did they lose the NFL? I I don't know of a town that's lost NFL and NBA at the same time. I think that's rather historic. We've seen some teams lose NFL. We've seen teams lose NBA. But I haven't seen him lose both. And now the commissioner of the other sport 
is threatening you to lose Major League Baseball? How great of a town is it if you can't, if you if you lose all three basically in a in a very quick span? It's it's that great. You pro Oakland people, you better be hounding your politicians, your council members, people in the JPA. You better be hounding them right now. Shots have been fired. I mean, I actually had to think about it. Man, they moved to Vegas? Well, Vegas just acquired an NHL team. Vegas just acquired an NFL team. Vegas has no problem building arenas and football stadiums. By the way, do you think Vegas could potentially get money for a baseball stadium? Vegas makes things happen. Vegas builds 24-7. You do realize that they work 24-7 on the Raiders stadium. It's not like the union in Oakland. Why do you think it takes, you want a dirty little secret? Why do you think it takes so long to do the transformation from football to baseball or baseball to football? Yeah, from what I understand, the union's not so easy to deal with. In Vegas, they work around the clock. They have shifts. People are working on that stadium 24-7. Through the middle of the night, through the morning, the afternoon, and then back at it. And that's why it's going to get built. Because they don't have the issues that you have in California. And they're always one vote away from another little tax on hotel rooms, and they build a baseball stadium. By the way, did you see their attendance this year in Vegas for the Las Vegas Aviators? It was pretty good. It's a happening sports town. Hard to believe, but you know, it's not really that hard to believe. Because so many people live in Vegas. I mean, it's amazing. You got Henderson. I mean, watching it grow throughout all these years, and now it's not all transients. I mean, Vegas has been around. I mean, there's a lot of people who were born and raised in Vegas. Raiders are sold out. The Golden Knights are sold out. They averaged 10,000 fans. The the Aviators had 47, and this is hard to believe, by the way. The Aviators had 47 sellouts. 47. And you got to think, throughout the season, it's got to be, I mean, how hot are the games? It's got to be smoking hot. So the stadium holds 12,111 fans. Oh, no, they, hold, they, they, they housed a stadium record 12,111 fans on May 14th. And when Manfred said, and Larry, council member Larry Reed said, quote, that Manfred, he kind of laid down the law. I mean, he said people are already going to be going from the Bay Area to, to Vegas for Raider games. And that got me thinking. 
since the Las Vegas Aviators are already there in its A's, you really could add Vegas and not mess up what they really want to do is expansion. They want to expand to 32 teams. If you go to Vegas, then you leave Portland open, you leave Montreal open, and they still have talked about somewhere in that tri-North Carolina type deal somewhere in there. So you still leave, and Nashville. They've talked about Nashville. So if you said, you know what, Oakland, go to Vegas. You still leave Nashville, Portland, Montreal. Look that up, Cody, where they've talked about expansion somewhere in North Carolina. I mean, folks, if you think this is a joke, you're kidding yourself. They're over it. They're re- baseball's over it. Baseball, I mean, you could tell Rob Manfred and baseball are over all the issues with Oakland and Tampa Bay. They're over it. What do you got? It looks like Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where the Carolina Hurricanes play at the NHL. So that could be – and that's a nice city. I went there last summer. Raleigh's a nice city. They won a Stanley Cup. They won a Stanley Cup. NC State's right there. Their campus is right downtown. It's it's a nice little area right there, and you're not far from Charlotte either. Yeah, I mean, Manfred Manfred walked in and said, hey, listen, we've done everything for you. We didn't allow the team to go to San Jose, which if the team went to San Jose, they'd be an economic power because you'd have all the – you don't think Silicon Valley – if you've ever been to a Sharks game – Go up to the suites area. Go to a Sharks game. Every single suite is a tech company. I go to the Oakland Coliseum. I don't see any tech companies. So Manfred came in and he said, listen, we blocked San Jose because of the Giants. and we, But now you better drop this lawsuit. You better drop it. And what I don't get is... Libby Schaff, when she came on the show, she was all in. She loves what the A's are doing. We want to fix Oakland. We want to fix two spots of Oakland. She was all in. Now, from what I heard, she was shocked by the lawsuit. But now she's like, well, we do want the land. You don't have money. You don't have the money to pay for it. You can't buy the county out. So what are you doing? I I I don't get it. We should uh, we should put in for Libby Schaff. This will be you know. This is when the rubber meets the road. She came on the show when everything was great. Will she come on the show now with a lawsuit out there? Will she talk publicly about it? Uh, and obviously we're going to be coming from. A, a standpoint. Now what's she going to say? Because I can say, hey, we had you on the program. You were all in. This is the greatest thing ever. We're going to fix the Coliseum site. We're going to fix Jack London. And then now there's a lawsuit. They've kind of backed off of it a little bit, like, okay, there's negotiations that go involved. But if you're the A's... And I don't know, I haven't 
you know, last time we talked to Cavill, he was shocked about it. I, I don't know where the A's are from this standpoint. I'm just thinking of myself. I know you don't have any money. What, what what's what's there to negotiate? I mean, you can you 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 can tie you can tie things up in court all you want. But you you don't have the money to buy out the county. And it sounds like the county's like, you know what, we're still gonna negotiate with the you know, forget you guys. And you can make a case. And I will make the case that if you look how they have run the Coliseum for all these years, they're borderline slumlords. And it's it really is it's embarrassing when opposing teams come in and you look at the press box because that's where the brass is. You look at the clubhouse. You look at the stadium. It's amazing now. All of a sudden, they want to start filing lawsuits and talking about they want the land, and they you don't have any money. How are you going to develop it? You don't have any money. Well, the Braves are still in the playoffs. They're taking on the St. Louis Cardinals, and now joining us is truly one of the greats of all time. He's a Hall of Famer, a 10-time All-Star, a two-time Cy Young Award winner. He also led the league and wins five times a World Series champion and, let's not forget, was a terrific hockey player drafted by the Los Angeles Kings. The great Tom Glavin is with us here on A's Cast Live. Tom, how have you been? Uh, I'm doing great, thanks. How you doing? We're, we're doing well, and let's just talk about the rebirth of baseball going on right now in Atlanta. You open up another new ballpark, and the team in the playoffs right now against the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on. Uh, you know, certainly uh, the new ballpark um, has added a lot of excitement, and, uh, you know, I think certainly the team on the field has, has been a ton of fun to watch, um, you know, defending – National League East Division champions now this year, which I think was probably uh, maybe a year ahead of time. I, I think last year's uh, division win was probably a little bit of a surprise. I think uh, most of us felt like the team was going to be real competitive last year. But, um, you know, they surprised everybody and won the division and, and turned around and backed it up this year. So there's a really good vibe uh, around that club right now and, and with the new ballpark and everything that's going on around it. Um, you know, it's fun to be a part of it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, very reminiscent of what was going on uh, with the ball club in the early 90s when I was a part of it, and, and we kind of started that run of uh, consecutive division titles. So there's uh, there's a definite air of excitement around them. They've got a lot of young players that are fun to watch and uh, guys that people can identify with. So uh, it's all around good times right now in Atlanta. Yeah, you guys talk about your run. Your guys' run was, it was crazy. You're not supposed to win every single year. No sport is set up like that to where you win your division every single year. Like, like we're looking at the Dodgers right now, and you go, wow, the Dodgers have won it seven years in a row. You go, that's nothing compared to what you guys did. What was that like to where every year you're winning the division? Every year you know you're going for the World Series. You know, it's one of those things that I think um, when you're when you're going through it, you, you probably don't pay attention to it the way you should. Um, I think maybe you, you, you just kind of get in. You go into it every year. You know you have a good team. You want to defend your title. You want to win your division. You want to get in the playoffs and have a chance at the World Series. So 
I mean, that's kind of your mindset. And, and I don't think really until it's either over or you're done playing to where you really get a chance to step back and, and evaluate it and realize how unbelievable it was. Now, given that, I don't, I don't say that when you're doing it, you don't appreciate it because we did. I mean, I think we all appreciated how special what we were doing year in and year out was but I don't think you have, really have the opportunity to truly appreciate it. If that makes sense, you can, you know, you can enjoy it and, 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 and what have you, but it's hard to really appreciate exactly what you're doing until you're no longer in, in the middle of it. And, and I think that's what we were. We knew that we knew we had good teams every year. We knew we were going to have competition every year. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we took it for granted because we knew that, you know, you're an injury away from a lot of things changing uh, the beauty of baseball, there's always a team that comes out of nowhere every year. So you're always guarded against that. So, I mean, I think we, uh, we, we expected to win every year, but we didn't take it for granted that we were going to win every year. And, and, you know, just kind of went about our business of, of each and every year trying to put, you know, put that best effort forward and, and try and create an opportunity for ourselves to win our division and get into a postseason. You know, I think about this team now, and as you said, very similar as you guys were in the World Series in 91, and you got a, you got young players, and you got guys in their prime, and you got veteran players. Talk about how you see the similarities of how the roster is built between your guys' team in the early 90s and what you have now in Atlanta. Oh, there are a lot of similarities. I think, uh, you know, when you look around the roster, uh, it's very similar to where we were in 91 and 92. They've got a lot of talented young players um, and, and a nice mix of veteran guys to go along with it. So, you know, you look at our team in, in 1991, uh, you know, we were a surprise team. We, we thought we were going to be competitive that year, which, to be honest with you, was really not all that lofty of an expectation because we were so uncompetitive for the years leading up to that, uh, that, you know, for us to go into the 91 season feeling like we had a chance to be a 500 club or better, um, you know, that was on the one hand, I guess, maybe not so lofty an expectation, but when you're coming off of, you know, hundred lost seasons, it would have been quite a jump for us. It just so happened that our acceleration, I think much like the Braves acceleration last year was probably a year or two ahead of schedule and everything came into place. But, you know, you look at the similarities. We had a very young, talented pitching staff. I think the Braves are the same way with, with Fulton Avich, Max Reed, and Mike Soroka all being young guys that are kind of uh, making their mark right now, still trying to figure out who they are, but obviously have a ton of talent. Uh, the everyday lineup has young guys like Albies and Swanson and, and Ronald Acuna. We had guys like Justice and uh, you know, Ronnie Gant and guys like that. And then, you know, they have the nice mix of, of Freddie Freeman and Marcakis and McCann and, you know, a couple of the guys in the back end of the bullpen and similar to what we had with Pendleton and Sid Bream and, uh, and you know, Raphael Belliard, say. So it's that good mix. I think it's that mix that provides an opportunity to have some long-term success with this group. It's not the kind of thing where, uh, you know, they're, they're all going to get old together or anything like that. I think there's a nice mix of, like you said, the young guys, kind of the middle-of-the-road guys, and then the veteran guys. And, and I think it's a formula that certainly worked well for us through the 90s and, and another uh, a formula that I think they're trying to duplicate duplicate here, excuse me, with this team currently. You know, we had your former teammate John Smoltz on, and we are talking to Smoltz about your guys' run. And I asked him this question. I want to ask you the same question about you guys acquire Greg Maddox. And now, you know, because I think about Verlander, I think about Cole, I think about Grinky. 
I think about you three. You guys were so dominant. You played golf together. You were friends. But you competed against each other, and you pushed each other. What was it like when you added Greg, and how did that elevate all your games? Well, you know, I think it was a, it was a case where, you know, you look at it and you go, you know, we've, we've already got a pretty good um, starting rotation, and it's hard to imagine it getting significantly better. But then when you add a guy like Greg, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we just went from being pretty good or really good to unbelievably good, potentially. So, you know, anytime you add a guy like that, it obviously, you know, it, it makes your ball club better. But I think the beauty of the three of us together for as long as we were, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. We drove each other. We motivated each other. I mean, it was the kind of thing that we understood that in order for our team to achieve the expectations that everybody had, we had to uphold our end of the bargain. And that meant we had to go out there each individually and, and achieve certain things. And uh, none of us wanted to be the guy that was having the bad year uh, that caused, you know, the, the thing to get off the rails in any way, shape or form. So there was a lot of competition in that regard. We wanted to be, we wanted to up, uphold our end of the bargain. We didn't want to be the weak, weak link in the chain, so to speak. And, you know, because of that, we all worked extremely hard at what we were doing. And, and I think it was the kind of thing that, you know, we had friendly competitions with our batting and bunting and fielding and all those things, which, you know, uh, were fun and were designed for us to work hard at it and try and be better than each other. But when it came to pitching, there was, you know, there wasn't a competition in terms of, Hey, I want to, I want to be better than him. And I want to have more attention than him or anything like that. It was, it was really a case where, you know, if I followed Greg on a, you know, on a given turn in the rotation and he went out and threw a, you know, a four hit shout out, I wanted to throw a three hit shout out. And then Smolty wanted to come behind me and do one better. So I think that was the kind of thing that we had, the kind of thing that drove us. Um, you know, I think it was uh, the kind of thing, too, that it was always nice knowing that if you, if you had a bad game, you had one of those guys coming behind you uh, to kind of get things back on track a little bit. And, and for me personally, I, I always say this, and I, and I think the other guys will agree with me, but I don't certainly want to speak for them or put words in their mouth. You know, it's always difficult being a number one in a rotation because there are a ton of expectations on you uh, when you're the number one guy. But with our setup the way it was, any one of us could have been the number one at any given time. And, and, you know, any given year, you know, any one of us was the opening day starter. I felt like it took a ton of pressure off of me knowing that those two guys were with me in the rotation and were behind me. Because, like I said, if you had a bad game, you knew those guys, one of those guys was coming behind you and, and going to get things back on track. And I think that helped to alleviate some of that sense of, oh, my God, I'm the number one guy. Every time I go out here, we better win because if I don't, who knows when we're going to win again. We didn't have that. So I think that enabled the, all of us to relax a little bit and, and just kind of be a little bit more free in terms of, you know, how we approached our starts. And, and I think, like I said, at least for me, I think it – that made me better, and, and being around those guys every day made me better watching them and having them as another set of eyes watching me if there was something that I was struggling with and trying to fix. You know, covering the Braves right now, I, I bet this is not easy for any of you guys. When you talk about Acuna Jr. and, you know, the lack of hustle, being benched, now we got a throat slash – if you could sit down with him and you could give him advice, he's a young player, he's so dynamic, he's so good, what advice would you give to him? 
Well, it's interesting because after, you know, game one of the series where, you know, he didn't run out the ball that he thought was going to be a home run and ended up getting a single instead of an extra base hit and then compounds it with another base running mistake and gets doubled off on a line drive. You know, I, I do a radio show here in Atlanta every Friday morning, and obviously that was that was the topic of conversation. And, and my point in that interview was the fact that we're having this conversation should be enough for Ronald to realize that he needs to stop doing this stuff because he is a tremendous baseball player. And the conversation surrounding him should be about his skills on the baseball field. It shouldn't be about all this other stuff. So I think for him, he needs to understand that. He needs to come to that understanding that, hey, I need the conversation about me to be about what I'm doing on the baseball field and how well I'm doing, not this speculation about am I playing hard, am I not playing hard, or all this other stuff. So, you know, it's just for me it's unnecessary noise, and I would tell him that. I would tell him, listen, go out there, you play the game, and let your production on the field be the topic of conversation not whether or not you are hustling on the baseball field, that there's just no reason for that, you know? So I hope he comes to, to the realization that it's unnecessary noise. I mean, you know, when, when Brian Snicker pulled him out of a game uh, in August or what have you, you know, a lot of people are under the impression, well, that's the first time that happened and, and Brian pulled him out of the game. Hopefully it won't happen again. The problem is it wasn't the first time. It was just the, the almost the last straw, so to speak, that, that Brian felt like he had to do something more than have a conversation with him. And I think that the reaction you saw from his teammates after that game one, uh, where they all had to answer those questions and they were, you know, they were for them, they're a very tight group and they're very close, close lipped about what they say about that, each other within that group for them all to him for, to a man to pretty much criticize Ronald for his lack of hustle in that game. I think that says a lot. And that's the kind of stuff that he needs to come to realize. Hopefully he will. He is young, but at some point in time, being young is no longer an excuse. And you've got to own up to things. So hopefully that's going to happen sooner than later because he is a tremendous player. Let's end on this. A lot of people, obviously you're one of the great baseball players of all time. But a lot of people don't know you were drafted ahead of Hockey Hall of Famers. You were drafted ahead of Brett Hall, ahead of Luke Robitaille, in the 1984 draft of the L.A. Kings. How good of a hockey player were you? Uh, I was pretty good. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not going to toot my own horn too much, but trust me, anytime I see either one of those guys, I remind them that I was drafted ahead of them, and they don't like that too much. But, um, but you know, I'll say this. People have asked me this all the time. I was, a, I was probably a better hockey player coming out of high school than I was a baseball player. I was much more polished. Uh, as a pitcher, I was very raw. I didn't know what I was doing. I got on the mound, and I threw the ball, and I threw it as hard as I could, and I had a good arm, and that's why I got drafted. Uh, as a hockey player, I was more polished. Uh, I had a lot more going on uh, in terms of the whole scope of my game than I did at baseball. I, like I said, I was just a, I was a thrower with a good arm that turned into a pitcher, but I, I think I made the right decision. Well, I'll tell you this. Because of TBS and when I was growing up, We've got we got to watch you guys. It, it, it's amazing that that superstation allowed us to experience Atlanta Braves baseball and all your winning. I mean, there's there's been other great teams, but the exposure you guys had, it's, it, you feel like you know you guys because we got to watch all of your starts on TBS. It was amazing. Yeah, and that was a neat dynamic for us, you know. And and you know, I think the Dallas Cowboys will always forever be America's team. 
but we were right there for a while. I mean, you know, like you said, we were on TV every night across the country. And I think sometimes you lose sight of, of the scope of how many people get to watch you. But when we would go on the road, some of the crowds that we would have on the road uh, were just unbelievable. And, and it was in large part because those people got to watch us every night. They, they saw us, even though we weren't in Atlanta, they watched us every night on TV. And, and, you know, I still have a lot of people that will come up to me even today and say, man, I grew up watching you guys and PBS was great. And we got to see you guys all the time. And, you know, that's neat. You forget sometimes the, like I say, the, the scope of, of exposure that you have with people, but uh, that was a neat time and a, and a unique time uh, in the broadcast world where, you know, we were one of the few teams that were on every night and, and people across the country really got to know you. It was pretty cool. Yeah, you could be watching Gilligan's Island or the Brady Bunch, and all of a sudden it's Braves baseball. It was hilarious. Tom, <laughs> hey, thank you. Exactly. Thank you so much for the time. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program. Continued success, and we'd love to have you on again. All right, I'd be happy to do it, and I thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. Well, join us once again as one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived. He's a Hall of Famer. He does a great job broadcasting for the Minnesota Twins, arguably one of the greatest curveballs of all time. The great Burt Blylevin is with us before the Yankees in the Twins game. Burt, it's great to have you on the program again. Oh, well, thank you. It's an honor to be on. Thank you very much. You know, recently I was in Minnesota. I also work for the Raiders. I do the sidelines for the broadcast, and we came over. to. I brought Brent Musburger over to uh, Target Field, and we, we roamed. I got to tell you, they did an unbelievable job with Target Field. What a beautiful place for baseball. Oh, they really did. And, you know, U.S. Bank is not, not uh, uh, you know, that's a beautiful stadium too. So, yeah, the uh, five-state area, especially in Minnesota, I uh, love their sports, and uh, it's nice that uh, they're able to build a field like Target Field. And, uh, you know, also U.S. Bank and also Target Center where the uh, Wolves play. They do a great job there. Yeah, U.S. Bank, I thought what was so interesting is we've seen so many places that have become so big in sports that the fans just get further and further away from the field. But for the Vikings game, it's like they built they didn't build out and up. They just built straight up. So it feels like the Viking fans are right on top of the field. Isn't that cool, though? I mean, baseball's really done that with all the new ballparks. Of course, target field, and that's why I'm so happy baseball is putting the netting all the way down that third baseline and first baseline. Because fans are so close to the game now compared to the stadiums that were, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, before we uh, before we get to tonight's action, Yankees and the Twins, we just had on Tom Glavin, Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Famer. When, when you get to that level and you guys get together every single year in Cooperstown, what, what is it like to be a part of that fraternity? Well, it's pretty cool. You know, Tom Glavin was a great pitcher for the Braves. Of course, Greg Maddox joining him, John Smoltz, uh, you know, uh, Chipper Jones. But, you know, we pitchers, we don't talk to the hitters. We never did anyway. <laughs> we don't like hitters. So we pitchers kind of stick together, you know. We kind of hang out at the bar, and, you know, and if the hitter walks in, we, we turn our heads. What was that moment? where you're either at the hotel or you're, you're at the museum where you just you saw somebody, something happened, you went, oh, my God, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer. Well, you know what? Uh, when I played with Cleveland, Bob Feller always came every spring to spring training, and he, I got to know him. And 
I think the, as a broadcaster and a retired player, I really enjoyed my time when I went to Cleveland and had lunch or dinner with Bob and just talked baseball. He actually wanted to talk more about the military, his days in the military, and uh, you know what he did so well for our country during World War II. But you know what? Uh, just to be able to say that you're a Hall of Famer, of course, is, is a great honor. And to rub shoulders with guys, you know, that uh, have been the greats of the past, it is a great honor. So what do the Twins need to do to get over this hump against the Yankees? Because they've really struggled against the Bombers. <laughs> well, you know what? Twins are, of course, they're behind the eight ball right now. They have to win three in a row. You start with one tonight. It comes down to starting pitching, always does. Jake Odorizzi, you know, has averaged about five and a third innings uh, in his 32 starts this year. So he's got to go out and pitch five very good innings. I think as a former pitcher, I always looked, especially when I got older, if I could pitch three shutout innings at the beginning of the ball game, that's going to be important, I think, for Oda Rizzi tonight against the Yankee lineup. It's a powerful lineup. It's a good lineup. And it's a lineup that, uh, you know, you look at that and the Dodgers and Houston and some of these other ball clubs that are fighting to get to the World Series. You know, the Twins offensively put up great numbers this year, and the bats have to come alive and score hopefully seven or eight runs, and that's about the way you're going to beat the Yankees. You almost have to outsluggle. Yeah, and I'm thinking about this year, Bert, and it's pretty amazing when you look at the 107 wins by the Astros, 103 wins by the Yankees, 101 wins by your Twins, and then here the A's, they win 97 games. You got the Twins win, I mean, the uh, Rays win 96. 97 wins only gets you into a wild card game. How crazy is that? <laughs> and that was quite a game between Oakland and, and the Rays, two organizations that have really relied on making trades and building within their minor league system. Of course, the Rays winning today, keeping uh, that series alive. But uh, it's a, it, there's some good organizations out there, and then there's some organizations like I'm going to say Detroit, uh, you know, or Kansas City. They have to rebuild. They have to go back to hopefully these minor league players can come up through their system and produce. So, you know, the budgets are high on some ball clubs, but they're very low on other ones. When you have a game plan as a pitcher and you're going up against a team that has the kind of power that either the Twins or the Yankees have, you want, I mean, obviously the objective is keep the ball in the yard, and if you are going to give it up, you only want to give up a solo shot. As a pitcher, what would your game plan be against this Yankees lineup? Well, first of all, i got to get ahead in the count. I think what we've seen in the first two ball, club, ball games, I think there are 13, 14 walks by the, started by the past staff of the Twins. They have to be more aggressive in the strike zone. You can't be afraid to make a mistake. Uh, you have to get strike one. That That's simple. That, that's that been in baseball since it was founded. But, you know, when you're always 3-1, 2-1 on a very good hitting ball club like the Yankees, they're going to take advantage of it, and they have. So the big thing is get strike one. You have to show these guys that you will bust that fastball inside. Keep them honest. Don't get them leaning out over the plate. And I think that's what Odorizzi has to do tonight is establish that fastball both sides of the plate, but he's a pitcher that pitches up in the zone. He doesn't keep the ball down very well. So, you know, he's got to get that good 93, 94-mile-an-hour fastball with that little giddy-up 
uh, hopefully get by some swinging bats for the Yankees. And also seems so easy, but it rings true, is when you score first and you really get the crowd into the game. Well, especially here in Minnesota, you know, uh, you know, they're they're diehards. They really are. And we're, we're even the Yankee fans. They were awesome to listen to on the telecast that I watched. You know, the enthusiasm and and the 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 ego that they have. And Minnesota fans hopefully will come out and do the same thing. Root for your ball club. Hopefully, good things happen. Yeah, and because you you don't want to go out this early, you want to make it a series. And you know, talk about Nelson Cruz. What what he has meant at the age of thirty nine. You want to have young, dynamic players, but as you know, to make runs, you got to have that steady veteran presence. Yeah, I mean Nelson Cruz is a leader. He's been a leader ever since he came up with the Brewers way back when. And you know, he went over to Texas, had some great years, had four solid years with the Seattle Mariners. Became a free agent, and the Twins uh, offered him a contract. They're really probably below market, but he took it, and he had a fantastic year again. Over 400 major league home runs. The guy is a leader not only on the field but off the field. And and the organization did well when they not only got Nelson Cruz, they got Jonathan Scope. They added Marwin Gonzalez uh, in spring training, and they got C.J. Crone. So, you know, it's a powerful hitting ball club, and, you know, Kepler, and, and they missed Byron Buxton, of course, out in center field. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Rosario, I think, uh, led the club in runs batted in. And then you got big Miguel Sano, you know, at third base. And Polanco had a great year at short. Uh, hopefully he'll be steady. And then Mitch Garver and uh, Jason Castro, the two catchers, have done a good job. So it's a good ball club. They hit, two, I think, 276 as a team. Over 300 and, I think, what, 307 home runs, one more than the Yankees. So it's a good offensive ball club, but it comes down to pitching in these uh, seven-game series or five-game series what the Twins find themselves now. You never know what you're going to get with a guy that's never managed before. So tell us what a season has been like with Rocco Baldelli as the Twins manager. You know, I had an opportunity to be in spring training for the first two weeks with the pitchers and catchers and just listening to Rocco's theory on, hey, guys, you know, we don't have to stand out here for four or five hours and do our PFPs. And you know what you need to do. You're grown men. okay? you want to make this ball club. You want to do the best you can. Put the work in. And it doesn't mean you have to have to stand around for four hours. Get it in. Get it out. Enjoy it. Uh, you know, take every game, one game at a time. It's it's the same baseball theory, but sometimes when there's always a new mouth that's leading, Rocco Baldelli has been that new mouth, and he's done a good job. So it's been announced by the Astros that Justin Verlander is going to start game four on three days rest. How did you feel about that in your career? Uh, I, I think pitchers today should pitch every fourth day. I came up in 1970 with a four-man staff. I don't think the fifth starter came in until the late 70s. I love pitching every fourth day. So I, I think Justin will be fine. The guy's a workhorse. Uh, you know, if, if he falters, then you what? You got Cole in game five? My goodness. That, that's a pretty good combo right there. <laughs> and let's end on this. There's so much talk now about spin rate and all these different things. You had one of the greatest curveballs of all time. What was what do you think Burt Blyleven's spin rate was back in the day? 
Well, it was probably pretty good if they missed it. If I hung it, it probably wasn't very good. So, uh, you know, we didn't have all that stuff. We didn't have the analytics. You kind of had to feel the hitter that was at the plate if he's leaning in. Maybe you got to bust him on his butt a little bit. Not only, you know, my best conversation when I was 19 years old, I had a, I was with the uh, Minnesota Twins. We were playing the Angels in Anaheim. And I got to sit down because of my Marv, my pitching coach was Marv Grissom. He knew Don Drysdale. And, of course, I grew up in Southern California. I idolized Colfax and Drysdale. And to be able to sit down and listen to him talk about pitching for about 15, 20 minutes, everything he said went in one ear, and most of it stayed. It didn't go out to the other end because he was such a great competitor in the way that he went about his business. And, you know, these kids today, I don't know if they want to learn off the veterans. I don't know if they want to pick the brains like I did or, you know, having the opportunity to pitch with Jim Cott and Jim Perry and, you know, Louie Tiant, those type guys, Dave Boswell, those were the guys when I came up, you picked their brains, Stan Williams, Ron Paranofsky. I was very fortunate to have uh, uh, some, some veteran players that kind of uh, took me in as a younger brother. Oh, Drysdale and Koufax. Can you imagine having to face them on back-to-back days? <laughs> Hey, what a combo. Bert, thank you so much for the time. Good luck with your twins tonight. We're going to be rooting for you guys against the Yankees. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Let's uh, make it uh, – let's let's get the twins a win and see what happens in game four. Well, now joining us on A's Cast Live, he's one of the great coaches in Oakland A's history, and now he's doing a great job with the Atlanta Braves and third base coach, infield coach. Ron Washington is with us from Atlanta. Wash, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we're just having a lot of fun watching the playoffs. And what a dogfight you're in. And it's a game five in Atlanta. You have to be really excited about this one. Well, very excited, you know. Um, I think opportunity presented itself that uh, we had a chance yesterday to, to end it. But, uh, you know, we playing a team with a big tradition in the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, when we started, it was five games. And now it's five games. And tomorrow is winner takes all. And just looking at the makeup of your club, Wash, I mean, you've got some great young talent. Then you mix in some veteran guys, and you know much how, we, how much we love Josh Donaldson from his time with the A's. It's a real nice mixture you have down there in Atlanta. It really is. Um, you know, the, the older guys keep the young guys in check, and the young guys keep energy on the field, and it just mixes quite well. And as I said earlier, not only are they young, they can also play. And I think about this series where tomorrow you're going to want to see the starters go as deep as they possibly can because relievers have pitched 37% of the innings in the series and they've allowed 53% of the runs scored. So talk about how tomorrow just whose bullpen can survive game five. Well, you know, um, as you said, the two guys that are throwing tomorrow – um, I do believe that Fody going to take us deep into the game, and I know the St. Louis Cardinals believe that Flaherty will take them deep in the game. And if it comes down to a bullpen, um, i got to take our bullpen. Um, you know, they've been tremendous uh, all year for us after we gotten it straightened out. So, uh, But, you know, the game is played between those lines, and you know how it goes. It's going to come down to which one of those starting pitchers uh, can contain, each, you know, each team. And um, 
We just got to wait and see what happens after that. But I do believe Fody going to throw us another gym, and um, we'll see what happens from there. What's the home field advantage like in this new ballpark there in Atlanta? Well, you know, I don't actually think we feel no home field advantage. The home field advantage is the starting pitcher and how deep he can go in the game, especially when you're in the playoffs. So, um, you know, I just think we have to come out tomorrow and when Fody puts the ball in play, if it's an out, we got to get the out. And um, and when we get an opportunity to, uh, you know, make clarity shake a little bit and, and maybe have an opportunity to score some runs, someone has to come through. And it's going to be going back and forth. As I said, uh, you know, you're playing two, two teams are playing with, with great tradition. You know, baseball obviously has changed dramatically since, since you played, and it's changed over time as you've been a, a manager and a coach. And, and I think about Acuna Jr. getting on second base with nobody out. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, Albies, maybe he should be bunting there, get him over to the third. But obviously, people just don't bunt anymore. Do you like this type of strategy that's going on today in baseball? Well, you know, I understand why they don't bunt. But I think when it comes time in a ball game that that bunt can determine whether you have an opportunity to win or lose a game, then I think you have to try to get that run of the third. But, uh, you know, whether you bunt or whether you let a, a hitter swing, um, it's actually out of my hands. I'm not sitting in that, in that seat to make that call. And I think about sitting in that seat, you know how tough it is. What's it like managing in a game where it's winner moves on, loser goes home? Well, you have to got you just have to believe in your personnel, and I think when you show up to the ballpark the day that you play that winner takes all, um, that has to be your aura, and uh, your players is going to follow the leader. So if the leader comes in, and um, you know nothing has changed from the 162 games we played, and then the five that we are about to finish playing, then I think everything will be fine. You know, usually after the first inning, when the starting pitcher your starting pitcher goes out there and he gets you out of that first inning. You know, you start to begin to relax a little bit. And every inning that he gets you out of that inning, you get more and more relaxed. And the next thing you know, it's just a ball game. Yeah, I, I think about the, the good and the bad of this series. I think the good has been watching a lot of emotion. You know, Josh Donaldson gets a double, gets taken out for a pinch runner, and then he's going nuts there in the dugout. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun to watch the enthusiasm on both sides, and we're seeing it all through baseball now to where things have changed that way. And it's whether it's young guys or it's older guys, just the emotion, the raw emotion we're seeing in these playoff games. Do you, do you love it? I do love it. Uh, you know, there's no uh, me, me, me. It's all about the team. He just hit a big double for us, you know. And he understands that he's not the swiftest guy. And um, normally in the regular season, you know, I'm, I'm more than certain Snit would have probably left him in. But it was a situation where we needed to get that run, so he put the speed that we had on the bench out there. But it didn't bother Josh because he just put the team in a position that he wanted to put the team in, an opportunity to win. And that's the difference in all those guys especially those young guys and our veterans, uh, they just want to win. You know, Acuna Jr. is such a special talent. I, I, they, I mean, he's just killing it in this series. He's 8 for 16, three doubles, a triple, a home run, three walks. But obviously there's the, there's the base hit that he should have been hustling. There's the throat slash at the end of the game. 
Have you ever sat down with a young man and tried to talk to him saying, you might want to try some things differently here, especially when you're on national TV in the major spotlight? Well, the key is he's a young man. He's 21 years old, and um, he plays hard for us every single day. He had a a brain cramp, and, um, you know, all you can do is keep talking to him. He's 21 years old. Um, By the time he's 23 or 25, he'll quit having those type of moments. Uh, he'll be able to understand how important he is to his teammates and the, th- and the way he carries himself resonate with them. So um, all we do is talk to him. It's a teaching moment, and that's all we took it as, a teaching moment. Um, we are the Atlanta Braves, and we don't roll unless we got a cuna at the top rolling with us. So, you know, you, 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 you talk to him, and he's 21 years old. Um, I know he played like he's 25 or 27, but he's just 21, and sometimes his emotions get in the way. He hit a ball, and he thought he hit it out the ballpark, and he was going to pimp it, and it didn't go out the ballpark. A lesson learned. But as far as teammates and coaching staff and everything like that goes, we with Ronald Lacuna and going to be with Ronald Lacuna for a long time. He is a player. No, I'll take that back. He is a player. <laughs> he, is, who, he is so special talent-wise. Who would you compare him yes. to who you saw in your career, who you coached with or against? Um, there isn't anyone that I can compare him to because um, I've never seen a talent like that at 20 years old. I mean, he does it all. He can run. He can feel. He can throw. He can hit. He can hit with power. And all he has to do is continue to mature in the game of baseball and the things that people want to criticize him for when he make a little mistake, uh, they're going to actually love him because of the growth that he will gain because of going through that. Um, Sometimes you go through the game of baseball and they don't treat you right. And sometimes you go through the game of baseball and and things happen the way you want it to happen. He made a couple of mistakes uh, mentally, but uh, he's back. And all we want to do is keep him back. And when he go off the track again, we'll get him back. And we'll get him back as many times as we have to because he's that type of player and he's young. You know, Josh Donaldson is playing near home. And, you know, been banged up the past couple of years. Just coming back to the Braves and having the year he's having, just what has this year been like for J.D.? Because, as I said earlier, you know how much the A's fans love him. He's a difference maker. Uh, he really is. He's a difference maker on the defensive side. Um, he's a difference maker on the offensive side. He's a difference maker in our dugout. Uh, he, he comes to play. He comes to win. He comes to beat the opposition. Uh, he holds his teammates accountable. He want to be held accountable. Um, those are the traits of a winner. Those are the traits of a player that you like to have on your team. And, you know, when we first got him, he wasn't so sure because he got a slow, got off to a slow start. But the more you're around Josh Donaldson, the more you love what he brings to the table every single day. He posts every day. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, he comes in with like a football mentality, and he is ready to rock, and he's a guy that can police that clubhouse. Uh, It was a lot of fun covering him. You know, I didn't ask you this last time, but you were so close to winning a World Series as a manager. Would you like to manage again? Definitely would. You know, I do believe that uh, if a general manager can convince an owner that I'm the guy to lead the way, um, as a group, I'm, I'm more than certain we can uh, get back to the World Series with me at the helm. I have no doubt about that. It's just a matter of uh, someone giving me another opportunity to do it, but I certainly want to do it. I love. In the meantime, you know, I just uh, 
pass my wisdom and knowledge along and uh, try to help the group that I'm with uh, find success in, in the game of baseball the way they want to. Well, like I said, J.D.'s loved here, and you know you're loved here, and all the A's fans are going to be pulling for you tomorrow. Good luck in Game 5, Wash. Should be a lot of fun. I expect a lot of electricity there in Atlanta. Oh, there will be, and um, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we're ready to play. Trevor, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, unfortunately, we were expecting a lot of good games, to, to two really good games today, but uh, it's 11-0 the Cardinals lead the Braves in the bottom of the second inning. That's a big shocker. Yeah, that one got out of hand pretty quick. I uh, was on a call, actually, uh, with one of my data scientists going over a a project that we're doing, and um, you know, I didn't get the game on in time, and so when I got off the call, it went a little longer than I thought. When I got off the call, I turned the game on. I was like, well, man, I... Missed the entire game. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was ugly early. By the way, tell everybody about the new show you have, something that's very unique to have a player actually still playing in the game. You now on the MLB channel on SiriusXM have your own show. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great. I'm, I'm really excited to do it. Um, I, I really enjoy kind of long-form conversations about baseball and just general topics, um, life topics, and that's kind of what we're gonna what we're gonna get into. Um, now, I, you know, we can talk about fan questions, and I actually have a form that I can answer them a little bit, you know, more in depth than just a hundred and whatever characters it is now on Twitter or uh, something like that. And we can kind of get into the into the nitty gritty stuff about you know being in the dugout and what that means and clubhouse chemistry or. You know, whatever the case, whatever whatever it is, we start talking about. So I'm excited about it. it. Should be like a two time per month thing. I think kind of every other week is the plan right now. Um, and yeah, the first one went pretty well. I, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, so looking forward to the next one. Oh yeah, it's going to be absolutely great. And I think about you and your career is, you know, with so much technology and science that we have now, really in every single sport, some players want to utilize it. Some players don't. Some guys just want to be see ball, hit ball. At what point in your career did you say, this technology, it can really help me be a better pro? You know, I never thought that it was like, oh, this, this technology in general, and I'm, I'm just going to adopt technology now. Uh, it was kind of a, a mindset and a process through my entire uh, life. You know, my dad's an engineer. Um, and engineers have a very kind of specific mindset and process to things. They, they're problem solvers at the end of the day. So they identify the problem, they identify, you know, a process by which they plan to solve the problem and they go about doing it. And then somewhere along the way, they check in and say, are we getting closer to the goal or not? And make adjustments and go from there. So I kind of was taught from a young age to apply that process to baseball. Um, it's like, okay, I, you know, I want to throw, harder well how do i throw harder let's design a process do i need to long toss do i need to get stronger do i need to change my mechanics do i need to you know whatever the case is so i always kind of had this long-term plan and and goal set and then it becomes really easy to adopt technology because if i'm trying to throw harder and there's a piece of you know there's a camera technology out there that can allow me to see how my body's moving or maybe it's to digitize how my body's doing maybe i go through a bullpen and it gets you know, digitized in three dimensions and I can compare my 
delivery to someone like Nolan Ryan's, you know, that gets me closer to throwing harder. That gets me closer to being healthy. That gets me closer to whatever, you know, having success in the big leagues or at college or in high school or whatever my goal is at the time. And so the technology isn't uh, a big yes or no question. It's just a tool to kind of help me on the process that every athlete goes through. We all want to get better. And some guys do it through, you know, talking to old school guys and, and learning the game experientially and experimenting. Some guys do it by using cameras. Some guys do it by, you know, visualization and meditation. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So technology to me is just a tool. Yeah, I was so surprised that baseball was so late to the game. You know, my brother's a, a, a golf teaching pro and has talked. We've had him on the show. And they started using TrackMan back in, God, it was like late 80s, early 90s at Titleist down in Carlsbad, California. And what TrackMan was to do was to show how the equipment works so they could sell more equipment, right? And to think that baseball was so late to this process. And, you know, one thing that we've talked about, and now you're with the Cincinnati Reds and and the former pitching coach for Vanderbilt is there, is the fact that a lot of this technology was being used in college before it was used at the pro level. Yeah, no doubt. Baseball is generally just way behind. Um, I think, you know, one of the problems, not problems necessarily, but one of the hurdles to really advancing at a fast pace is how many people are involved in organizations. And it has to be that way. You know, you have six levels of 25 players plus, you know, some development leagues and you got to have people to staff all the, all the levels. So you have five or six coaches at each level and then you have coordinators and you have medical staff. And yeah, so there's just a, a lot of people um, that go into running a, a successful and um, high-powered organization like that. But the problem with that is you have a lot of different opinions, a lot of people to clear things with. You have to talk to a lot of different people that get everybody in a room and try to come to a conclusion where, you know, a college staff might have three or four coaches on it that just decide, you know what, we're going to go this way and we're going to implement it or we're going to try this or we're going to try that. And uh, so those smaller organizations can move a lot quicker and try a lot of things and innovate a lot faster than larger scale organizations like pro organizations can. And that's one of the things that's you know so encouraging about um, what the Reds have going on right now is they've made a clear um, choice to go you know, hire people that have innovated, that have moved quickly, that understand a lot of these things. And instead of trying to develop everything in-house and develop everything themselves and go through that, that time um, that you know kind of time sink of having to do all that and learn all that um you know they're bringing people in that that have already gone through it and have a lot of very valuable information um that can accelerate the learning curve of the organization that's Derek Johnson it's Donnie Ecker it's Caleb Cotham and you know now Kyle Bodie and you know the the list goes on there's a a lot of people there and I I don't mean to (laughs) exclude anybody There's, there's really is a lot of people there that are uh very smart and kind of have come from more of the private sector of baseball um, and have a lot of, of good innovation and, and experience uh, doing those types of things and u- using data and player development and stuff like that. I'm glad you bring up the whole thing about the minor leagues because having some buddies who played in minor league baseball, talk about the frustration. Let's just say you're a hitter, right? You're hitting in double A. So you got a hitting coach in double A, and he's telling you one thing, and then the roving hitting instructor comes in. He might tell you something else. It just seems like they're in an organization, like you just said with the Reds, everybody being on the same page. If you're not on the same page as an organization, you can be getting a lot of different messages from different people. It's, um, 
it's one of the most it's one of the biggest inefficiencies in in the industry. You know, baseball is this multi-billion dollar industry. It's massive, right? Um, but if you look at the way that things are run, a lot of times it's no other business in any other industry would ever run this way because the business wouldn't exist. Because what you have is you have a lot of different employees, and, and I'm not I'm not trying to single out anybody by any means, or or you know it's just kind of a global issue. And um, so please don't take it as that I'm you know trying to talk negatively about any any organization or anything like that. But we have a lot of people that. It don't a lot of times don't you know kind of really follow what their boss tells them to do or their boss doesn't really have a specific like goal or, or job description like it, there's no like real policy um, and so what you end up with is a bunch of different people with opinions and and trying to help and trying to do good for the players but they explain it differently that's it may or may not be backed by data it may not be the right thing to do it might not be the problem that this hitter or pitcher or player is, is really having. And so you're not, you're not solving the, the issue. And it's just this kind of cluttered, unorganized, um, kind of hodgepodge of, of information and, and good people trying to do good things, uh, but maybe not in the best, you know, in the most, most organized or best way possible. And, and businesses that function like that outside of, you know, outside of athletics or, you know, and just other areas of life crumble very quickly because you can't, you can't grow, you can't scale, you can't get enough done to compete. Um, and, and so, like you said, you know, being on the same page and, and really having a, uh, having a policy, you know, this is how we develop pitchers. We're going to do these things. We're going to measure them this way. We're going to um, every, you know, every year we're going to take uh, a biomechanics analysis of them. We're going to have actual data behind them, or this is how we develop hitters. Let's get some eye testing done, make sure that their vision is fine. Okay. Let's make sure that they're developed physically in these measurable ways. Like now you have a process and a, and a guideline uh, by which you can plug a player in, you can evaluate what he does and doesn't do well. And then you have a process by which you can help fix it. And then everybody in your organization can abide by that and say, okay, well, here's this, here's this guy's plan. And I think I have some information that might help him throw a slider. So when I go work with him, I'll talk to him about throwing a slider, but I'm not going to talk to him about mechanics or his mental game because that's not what he needs right now. That's not part of the plan. And so that's how I'd like to see baseball you know, run more. I think it would be much better for the athletes in general, because an organization could then tell them like, this is what you need to get better at. If you're going to advance in our system where a lot of times, you know, right now, you have all these guys coming and talking to minor league players and they're trying to listen to all the coaches because like, well, man, if I make a coach mad, they're not going to move me up. And then they get messed up. And then they're the coaches like, Hey, just stick with it. And you know, if you're a good teammate and you, you work hard, like things are going to work out in your favor. And, but the organization at the top level has no intention of moving that player up past a ball or double a, they view them as an organizational, you know, kind of filler sometimes, or maybe regardless of the skill set or whatever, however messed up he is, they're going to move him because he's a high draft pick or they like him or you know, whatever the case is. And so then it becomes very confusing and frustrating for the majority of minor league players because they don't know exactly what they should be working on and they think they're working on the right things and doing the right things and then they're not getting moved up. And then, you know, they see a guy with a five ERA get moved up when they have a one and they're questioning why, you know, why did that happen? And it's like, oh, they just don't like me. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's partially true. Uh, but that's not that they don't like you personally. It's just that, you know, the, the skill set that you have maybe hasn't been communicated that that's not what they're looking for or, or something like that. So there's just so many inefficiencies with it that I, I could, I could talk for, <laughs> for days on this, but you know, 
out of respect for your podcast and <laughs> everything else that you guys are talking about, uh, I'll kind of I'll stop. No, I'm telling you, uh, the fans are texting in right now. They're love. They're absolutely loving it and love your answers. And I, I got one guy texting me right now, going, "Bauer's really smart. You think you'll be in a front office someday? Could you see yourself running a major league baseball team?" No, absolutely not. Um, I, I want to. I'll be involved with baseball for sure. I can definitely see myself coaching like a college team. I've always kind of, I've always thought that it'd be really fun to to kind of coach a, a mid-level D1 school, um, a, a school that can't necessarily get the the top recruits, um, but can kind of pick some pick some guys that, that work hard and have a good skill set, and then run a developmental program to help them develop their other skill sets. Um, you know, I had this this idea of you know bringing in bringing in guys and and they would all redshirt their freshman year. Um, and you kind of creating some competitions between uh, the redshirt guys and the guys that are actually, you know, active and playing on the team and, and centered around the, the skill sets that the redshirt guys are trying to develop. And um, so there'd, just be, there'd be this like three or four year plan that, that players would get, you know, evaluated and they, you know, okay, year one's about working on developing these skill sets and this is how you're going to do it. Like go all in on that. And by year two, you're going to be, in competition and applying those and we're going to learn how you handle those types of situations and then by year three you're going to have this elite skill set and um you know are going to be able to hand game, handle game situations really well and now you're going to be a you know, draft prospect or, or whatever the case is and kind of implementing it on a level where it's a much smaller organization and i have more uh i guess control of um the quality of, of information and, and work that i can do with the players uh, so i can see myself doing that um, i also have I'm in the process of building out uh, a company um, and services that I'll, you know, hopefully at some point in the future be able to offer to players that can, you know, help make their careers better, give them a a um, a nice roadmap of, you know, kind of data backed um, information about what they can and can't get better at, and how they would do it, and you know, what's going on in season and stuff like that. A lot of these things that are things that I do on a daily basis with myself and I'm kind of using myself as a, as a lab rat in a way um, to see how beneficial it is and how detailed we can get the, the information. But, you know, hopefully in, in the future, I don't know when that would be available. I'm still building everything out, but hopefully in the future, I'll be able to offer that to, to current players. And you got a long way to go with, in your career. It's been fun watching you compete against the athletics. Uh, good luck with the Cincinnati Reds and our old buddy, Sonny Gray. Good luck with uh, your company. Good luck. Reading the MVP machine has been wonderful. Reading about you and finding out about uh, getting better. And honored to have you on the program. We would love to have you on again. And also, good luck with uh, your radio show on Sirius XM. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been fun talking. And, uh, you know, whenever you guys want to – Want to chat again? Just let me know. Uh, we love it. Thanks so much. Yep. Talk to you soon. Steve, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Say, thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks, Chris. And, of course, this is the uh, the holidays of, uh, of baseball here. You know, the, the, the world's watching, so to speak. It's my favorite time of the year, and uh, it's great to be with you. Does it get any better than having four games in one day? No, it doesn't really. <laughs> and if they could find a way to maximize the revenue for TV, they'd have six somehow. You know? But at some point, you got to start narrowing it down, and it's getting pretty interesting. There've been some uh, some pretty good games. Uh, look at Tampa Bay today, you know. Uh, so it's uh, with the Dodgers were one-one coming out of LA, you know, before the 
the seven run inning last night, uh, it was starting to get uh, getting a little nervous time for the blue, but uh, still there's time left in each one of the, uh, the division games. You know, it is amazing. The firepower of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and you got to see it on display. It's like, Steve, they, it was like they shelled shocked the Washington nationals yesterday in their own park. Uh, they did, you know, it was really a good game. Um, you know, and now you're nowadays you're just looking for matchups. You know, metrics will dictate this or that. And once Corbin came in, and I'm not so sure. You know, he didn't have that uh, that look on him that he does when he starts games, and he's been very, very effective against the Dodgers. Uh, a little bit hesitant, but you know, gets a couple outs and then gets 0-2, and he can't get this guy out. And 0-2, he can't get that guy out, and all of a sudden, you know, five hits after two outs later. Uh, you're looking at almost an insurmountable uh, lead. So the Dodgers, all of a sudden, they bring him. You know, Corbin comes in. They start going to the righties. You know, they bring Fries in. You bring Hernandez in. Um, that's what a team that's got depth and, and multi-purpose like the Dodgers can do to you. You know, our, our friend Ray Fossey always laughs about how in one of the <laughs> World Series, they only the A's only used five pitchers in the entire World Series. Just talk about how different it is now compared to when you played. The fact that you're going to see a ton of relievers, no matter what, how great the starter is, you're going to see multiple relievers throughout the game. Well, Ray's talking about the Jurassic Park era that we played in, where uh, where he's right. You know, you used a handful of guys, and your starters, uh, their goal was to go complete games. Uh, But the culture has changed dramatically now. The economics now dictates that there are uh, specific skills for, for certain positions. And if you look at September, I always have to chuckle when you see 16, 17 pitchers used in, in a game in September. And, of course, you know, the expansion of the roster has something to do with it, and I think they're going to modify that. But uh, the, the game itself, the inner game, is, is the relief core and how you use it. Yeah, and you're going to see a ton of relievers throughout the game. There's no question. But when you think about the Dodgers – You know, just talk about how they've mastered, along with the Houston Astros, the ability to take other people's players and make them better. Mm -hmm. Well, they have. And, um, and of course, you know, it's also very interesting. uh, When Guggenheim took over his his ownership for for the the pittance of 2.1, you know, 2.15 billion, that uh, they brought along that hedge funds mentality. And they, the Dodgers had gotten to a point in bankruptcy where they literally had no international office. The minor leagues were, I think, uh, not in the top 25 at the time, although they had a lot of talented uh, executives there and scouts. They just didn't have the money. So with the infusion of the capital from Guggenheim down at the top and literally, you know, all those categories, and to be able this year to be 15, 16 games ahead going into August, and to take a look at your talent in the minor leagues and bring up a Smith and a and a Lux and a May and a, a Gosselin uh, gives them the the latitude to give these kids experience. And you know, lo and behold, three of those four are on the uh, at least the NLDS roster. So you know, the rich get rich sometimes, and the poor get poor. And at the end of the day, though, it's uh, it's still a game that doesn't have a clock. The time doesn't run out. You need 27 outs and one more run, and, and the team that ultimately wins really has that great season. And even though the Dodgers have had very good teams the last few years, they still haven't been able to close the World Series. So, you know, we used to theme the hunt for Blue October, and uh, this may be the one. 
Yeah, you start mentioning those names. Like Lux in his very first at-bat in the postseason, he goes yard. You got Bueller starting game one. I mean, you got the veteran guys who are great. We know Kershaw, Rich Hill's going to be going today. But they just keep bringing up these young guys, Steve. It's unbelievable. Well, you know, it's all a tribute to the minor league system and the, and the uh, executives and, and scouts and the ability, the ability to draft and sign those people uh, and then to develop them. You know, it's all about player development. Ultimately, the teams that seem to be there at the end of September every year are the ones that have the strongest minor league departments. And uh, you see that in the, in the Dodgers, Houston, say over the last six, seven years, uh, and what they've done with a lot of first-round draft choices because of being so bad <laughs> with the prior seven or eight years. Um, but getting that opportunity for filling the Yankees, even this year with so many injuries, have been able to bring people up, mix and match, piece things together. Uh, and ultimately, it all depends on power. And uh, the way the ball has been slipstreaming, I call it, through, uh, through the atmosphere uh, in this era of, of the long ball, uh, ultimately it depends on, on the, who wins the long ball game during the game. You know, I think about you and your career and all the hits that you had. What would have Steve Garvey been like in today's baseball when we're now talking about launch angle? Oh, that's funny. You know, people people come up, uh, did you have a launch angle? And you say, I have a launch angle. How did I hit him out? I, I said, but my angle wasn't uh, in terms of how I could go from low to high. It was more of how I could take a pitch uh, where, where it was thrown and hit a line drive somewhere. And if I got under it a little bit, it would be a, a home run. But my job was to uh, to cover the plate. You know, I, I get 10 or 12 bun hits a year, or six, six to eight hit and run hits. Um, I knew when to drop my hands and hit a fly ball for a sacrifice fly. Uh, it was situational hitting with an approach towards, you know, hitting line drives. If you look back at the games, you know, say, for instance, a, a World Series game in the semis, if you look at the players, all of them had a parallel stance and most of them had a close stance because you were taught that's the way you cover the plate. Now you see a significant number of open stances where hitters are an inside half hitter. And they, they wait for that pitch. Everybody's pretty stationary in the box. Nobody really moves around that, that I did and a lot of guys did, depending on situations. And uh, they're trying to get under the ball and hit it out. And that's what sabermetrics demands. You know, walks are fine. Singles are just okay. Uh, solo bases aren't in big demand. But the, the home run and the three home run, three and home run, are uh, are the epitome of this, this metric game, or like I call it, I like to call it spreadsheet baseball. You know, I think about two organizations have won at least three World Series in a row. There's only two. It's the Yankees and the A's. And for our young A's fan base, you got to play against one of those teams in the 70s. Tell these young A's fans how good the 70s A's were. Well, they epitomized, uh, you know, baseball at that time, you know, and really throughout the ages. Um, Good solid defense, good starting pitching. You know, didn't need a lot of relieving, but they had a Raleigh Fingers. Uh, they had some power. They manufactured runs. They stole bases. Uh, Dick Williams turned out to be a Hall of Fame manager and who managed uh, myself You know, on a pretty pretty good team in San Diego. Uh, knew how to take a veteran team and, and how to use it. So it, it really was the way the game was played. And, of course, the Dodger organization was always known as the Dodger way to play the game. 
you know, we worked on bunting and hitting running. You know, first 10 days of spring training, we would spend the morning on on cutoffs and relays and, and defensive plays. Uh, I don't think a team spends maybe one morning in spring training anymore on that. So, um, you know, like I always say, offense wins games, defense wins championships. And if you look from, you know, throughout October, defense ultimately will win, you know, the, the, the golden prize, and that'll be the world championship. You know, I, I actually still have this. It, it, it's three pictures in a row, and you signed it. The home run you hit off Lee Smith as a Padre. I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it was really, really sure. cool. And when you're when you're raising your fist, rounding first, and I think it was Drysdale saying, and there will be a tomorrow. What was that mm-hmm. moment like for you in that playoffs against the Cubs? Well, there are certain moments that define your career. And, of course, when the Dodgers made me an offer I could refuse <laughs> after my contract ran out in 82, um, you know, I did a little tour of, the Giants, Cubs, Yankees, Houston, and San Diego. And uh, ultimately, Ray Kroc had me up to his, his clifftop home. And, of course, we all know the great success of Ray Kroc and McDonald's. And he was about 83 at the time. And he got me up there and he looked at me and said, Stevie, he said, uh, I really want you here, son. And I said, well, thank you, sir. You know, I was one of you wanted. He said, but I got one problem. And I said, gosh, what's that? He said, I can only pay in Big Macs and French fries. <laughs> and I said, well, can I have it for a lifetime? He looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah, you can have it for a lifetime. He said, I'll probably find a few bucks. And uh, he said, but, you know, I want you here. And I signed within the next day, and that began the run. You know, 83, uh, we come together with a young Gwynn and McReynolds and um, – you know, Kennedy and those guys and then Gossage and Nettles join us in 84 and we go all the way to the World Series for the first time. Of course, I hit that that walk off against Lee Smith, but uh, people will come up and they'll tell me where they were when I hit the home run. And I think that's always a measure of, of uh, and how it affects people. And, and I always say we're in the memory game and that memory is uh, indelible for many people, including myself. Yeah, and a lot of people forget at Michigan State, I mean, obviously you're a great baseball player, you're a first-round draft pick, but you were also a DB on the football team back in the day. Yeah, I yeah, I love football, and I was a quarterback out of Tampa Chamberlain and, and went there, and Duffy Doherty got a hold of me and said, son, you know, we heard you're a pretty good football player, and you want you to play that too? And I said, oh, good. You know, I'd love to. And uh, at the end of the first week of practice as a freshman, uh, there was a shortage of defensive backs, and the coach said, anybody play defense? I rose my hand. He said, play a little corner this afternoon. And I intercepted a pass and looked like I knew what I was doing, and that was uh, that was it for offense. But, but I started for two years, and it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, I always thought that playing football, you know, was a big asset for my baseball career. It taught me a lot of things, and, and one thing was toughness and playing through pain. And, and ultimately that, uh, that helped when I was on – you know, the consecutive game streak that went seven and a half years and 1,207 games and, and the National League record. So um, I always look back at that time in Michigan State as being a great time. And scholastically and, and personally as a, as a key development in my life and a key to my future. And let's end on this. I think about the infield you were a part of, and continuity is such a big thing, especially in sports. And when you got Ron Say at third, and you got Lopes at second, you got Russell at short, and you at first base, all those years you guys played together, what was that like in the continuity that you guys had in that Dodger infield? You know, that's a great question. I uh, I talk about that frequently now because even though you have teams that are, 
they're very, very good. The teams that seem to have the same seven guys every night, and you look at Houston two years ago, and you look at Boston last year, and you look at the Dodgers who they played and how the Dodgers would, you know, pit right against left and vice versa and move guys around. Ultimately, if you can get to that seven guys every day, you know, that can move together and have continuity, I think you're you're at an advantage. And that's why starting in the middle of 73 to 83, uh, that run where we went to four World Series, won a World Championship, came in second four other times, had the great competition with the Reds, you know, and then, of course, the Yankee Dodger World Series, which was the ultimate. You know, that continuity of having a core group of guys out there, I, I think, really makes the difference. And, you know, I, I said that. I did uh, Fox 11 Los Angeles pre and post last couple of years World Series. And uh, I ultimately said, if, if, if we're not going to win, it probably ultimately will be because of a defensive play here or there that not because of lack of talent, but because of lack of continuity playing together that might make the difference. So, uh, you know, hopefully not this year. Hopefully those kind of situations don't arise. And, and you know, the, the key strikeout or the line drive double the opposite field will make a difference. So we'll see. Steve, thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it. And good luck to your Dodgers the rest of the way. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you. Well, our next guest needs no introduction to the A's crowd. He's a former athletic. He's a top 50 A all time. He's a World Series champion. He's an all-star. And now he's a TV star. Nick Swisher joins us once again here for a little time with the A's. How you doing, Swish? Oh, bro, that intro was phenomenal. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm doing great. You know what? Last time we saw you was at the event where you were top 50, and I I remember you were ear-to-ear when I was interviewing you. I know it meant a lot to you. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, let's be honest, man. Oaktown was the place that I came up, gave me my first shot. Always Always have a lot of love for Oakland, baby. Always. And I think about this series coming up because you also are an advisor for the New York Yankees. You know, want to see the Astros get past the Rays because you want to see that heavyweight fight. You want to see the two best teams in the American League. I mean, this is just going to be a bloodbath starting on Saturday. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, I tell you what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the Oakland A's beat the Rays in that one-game playoff because I think the Oakland A's could have given the Houston Astros everything that they wanted. Uh, I think right now, if you look back at the the season that we just saw, I mean, we could have kind of told you this was going to happen in April. I mean, the top three teams in baseball at the start of the season, in my mind, were Houston Astros, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. So right now, to be able to have the matchup with the Astros and the Yankees, ALCS, right now, this could be the World Series. Absolutely. You know, it's hard for me, and I keep saying this to everybody, and I want you to think back to your playing days where you've got teams, you got a team that won 106 games, they're out. You got a team that won 101 games, they're out. You got the A's who won 97, they're out. The Rays, 96, they're out. The Braves, 97, they're out. It's crazy the amount of wins it took just to get into the postseason this year. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, look at the product that these teams are putting out on the field, regardless of payroll for the Oakland A's to win 97 games, for the Rays to win 90-some games, I mean, that's almost unheard of. To be able to get that much back on your initial investment is absolutely tremendous. But let's be honest, man. I mean, guys like Billy Bean, he's been doing this for years, bro. 2002, when Moneyball came out, 
this guy knew what he was going to do ahead of everything else. The one thing that Billy always does say, though, that, hey, my philosophy and the way I do things doesn't always work in the postseason. I think for Oakland, man, the seasons that they've had over the past five, six years have been tremendous, man. There's just so much upside, and there's so many great players that are coming through Oakland. The only problem is, is once you make a name for yourself in Oakland, that's usually when you move on, whether that's to sign a bigger contract or that's whether to get traded in for new prospects. I mean, that's how Oakland kind of continues to keep everything rolling right now. I think just in general, man, we've got such a great game going on right now. We've got so many great athletes, so many great teams. For me, it's so much fun watching, especially on the outside now. Because when you retire, man, your life completely changes. And as an athlete, everything is kind of about you. You've got to make sure you wake up. got to make sure you have your breakfast at the same time, your lunch at the same time. Well, now that I'm on the TV side, I'm having so much fun pumping up these players that we have in today's game because in my mind we got the greatest game going right now so the thing that what you talked about with the a's and what they're trying to change is chris davis just signed an extension i do believe there's a chance matt chapman will sign an extension here in the offseason where they're trying to get a new ballpark that is really the change now from your era is now it's all about staying in oakland it's all about building around the players and keeping the players and i think for you that's got to sound refreshing Oh, my gosh, it sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, listen, everybody wants to be Cal Ripken. Everybody wants to play for one team their entire career. At least I know I did. And coming up with the Oakland A's with the fan base and just the overall just connection that I had with the city and the organization and the fans, I thought I was going to have the ability to do that. Obviously, leaving and going to the Chicago White Sox, getting traded over in 2007, getting ready for the 2008 season was heartbreaking for me because that was the team that I thought that, hey, man, we're such a young group of guys, man. We've got such a great camaraderie. And I think that's carried over till till now. Come September in the second half of the season, teams like the Oakland A's, the, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, nobody wants to play those guys in the second half because things start to click, right? Those young players come up. They start to do their thing because when you're in an organization that, you know, promotes success, if you have success, you move up the ladder. That's awesome, especially for young players, because you know if you play well, you're going to get an opportunity to play in the big leagues. I think that's tremendous. As soon as they can get themselves a new stadium, I think that's when a lot of things are going to change. But then again, bro, they've been talking about getting a new stadium when I was there. So I'm not quite sure exactly how that's going to work out, but I definitely have my fingers crossed for it, too. You know, and, and I think about this upcoming year, and I've already been mentioning this on the show, you know, when, when, when you have Houston win 107 games, you can't get out to a slow start. And the good thing about the A's, and we had the Bob Melvin show, kind of the wrap-up show final for the year, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot of roster adjustments. They pretty much got what they have, and they're going to be ready to rock. So the key for the A's is to have a full season, not something where you get hot in May, not something where you get hot in June, where you stay steady from game one to 162. Because, Swish, you're going to win your division now in the American League. you got to win well over 100 games. Oh, yeah, man. I remember back in the day, you felt like if you won 89 to 92 games, you were going to win the division. But that's not quite the case anymore. You brought up a name, Bob Melvin. I mean, let's be honest. How lucky is Oakland to have somebody like that? Just his overall swag, his overall connection with the cities, with the players, the way that he goes about his business each and every day. I mean, let's be honest. This guy has the chance to be the manager of the year each and every year. 
if you don't have somebody like that leading your organization, the Oakland A's aren't nearly where they should be, in my opinion. Bob Melvin, one of the best in the game, and you guys should be so blessed to have somebody like that. So the ALCS will start tomorrow in Houston. Handicap, this, you're, you're working around this game, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, on, I'm in the car on the way to the airport right now, getting ready to catch an 8.30 flight out to H-Town. I mean, it's going to be great, man. You know that atmosphere there. When things get going in, in, in Houston and they close the dome, that place can get rocking. So I think for me, man, just to be able to go back and experience that just adrenaline and that just excitement around the game, those are the things that I'm most excited about. How do you handicap the series? Well, I think a lot of things happen good. You know, I think for the Yankees, obviously going in and sweeping the series, you know, that can either do one of two things. That can either give your guys time, a little bit of time to rest, or it can kind of get their timing off a little bit. I think the one great thing the Yankees do have going for them is that the Rays played the Astros tough and made Justin Verlander throw another 100 pitches, made Garrett Cole come back for game five and throw another 100 pitches. And obviously, if you're not starting off with that routine game one starter in Justin Verlander, you're throwing it over to Zach Greinke. And let's be honest, man. I mean, after facing two flamethrowers like Verlander and Garrett Cole, when you can get in the batter's box to face a surgeon like Zach Greinke, I mean, I'm breaking my ankles trying to get in the batter's box because I at least can see the baseball coming in. You know, so I think right now with where everything is, there's not a lot of holes in these lineups right here. Obviously, everybody's talked about starting pitching from the New York Yankees. I don't think anybody's talked about any holes the Houston Astros have. One through nine, they bring thunder just as well the Yankees do, too. So, like you said, man, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I think it's going to be a heavyweight fight. And in my mind, this thing is going seven. You know, when I think about the Astros, and we got we get to see them so much taking on the A's. You know where they're so tough? Everybody's hitting home runs right now. With this baseball, everybody's hitting home runs. The thing that's so uh, tough about the Houston Astros is they make contact, they don't strike out, and they make a lot of quality contact. So many people talk about home runs, especially with the Yankees, but, man, the Astros put the ball in play, and you know as a defensive player, that's not easy to deal with. Oh, bro, not at all. I mean, let's be honest. If I was a pitcher in today's game, I would much rather face a home run hitter than a, than, than a bat-on-ball type of guy. I think the one thing, you know, like you said, the Houston Astros do such a tremendous job first in baseball, bat-to-ball. And then this offseason, you go pick up one of the best bat-to-ball players in the game in Michael Brantley. It just kind of seems like they just add to their roster each and every year. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Garrett Cole this year. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of him going to Anaheim this year. I mean, you know, I heard Dan Plesak on MLB talking about how he thinks that he could be the first $40 million a year player. And in my mind right now, Garrett Cole can come over to an organization, change it around in a heartbeat. Because that kid has confidence, he's got swagger, and he's got a right arm that people would kill to have. And he may be the first guy that we've seen in a while, Swish, where he's a big-name free agent and all the big-time teams with money may be coming after him. It's been a while since we've seen a guy like this. Oh, yeah, and I think that's where, I think that's where you're starting to hear things like 35 to $40 million a year. Bro, can you believe that? We're at an age now where a baseball player is going to make $40 million in a year. That's unbelievable. But at the end of the day, there's only one Garrett Cole, 20-5 and five on the season. I think he's 18-0 and 0 in his last 20-some starts. I mean, that's almost unheard of. That's like Pedro Martinez-type numbers. And obviously the way he's pitching in the postseason is only going to add to his pocket. 
He's had a tremendous season. And whoever ends up getting him, whether it's the Anaheim Angels or it's the Houston Astros or, you know, the Boston Red Sox or the New York Yankees or all those big teams, whoever ends up getting this kid is going to hit the jackpot in my mind. Let's end on this. You're around the Yankees. And normally when you're around the Yankees, it's tough to win manager of the year because you're the Yankees. You got all the talent. You got all the money. But Aaron Boone, the job he has done this year with all of the injuries, just talk about the season that he has had. He learned from last year, and, boy, what a great job he did as a skipper of the Yankees this season. Oh, I mean, let's be honest. This guy takes over the helm after Joe Girardi, who had a magical uh, career in New York as a manager. First two seasons of his career, back-to-back 100-win seasons? I mean, bro, that's almost unheard of. Brian Cashman gave him to the keys of the Ferrari, and you know what he did? He somehow added some horsepower to that Ferrari. He somehow shined it up a little more. He added some rims, right? I think when the thing that I've learned most about Aaron Boone and from being around him that I enjoy the most about it is just his overall demeanor, the way he carries himself. For myself, obviously, I want to manage here at some point in my life, and I'll take a lot of things from his book. The way he handles his players, the way he handles his me- the media. I mean, he just understands exactly who he is and what he needs to do. I think Brian Cashman made a tremendous selection when they picked him up, man. He understands the Yankee way. He played for the Yankees. He had success for the Yankees. And now he's having success as a Yankee skipper, man. I think for New York, you know, the New York Yankee universe, they could not be more blessed to have somebody like that. He understands what they need to do, and he goes out. He provides that excitement for his players, but he also can provide that hug if they need it to. And last time I checked, those Ohio State Buckeyes are no joke either. Oh, bro, we ain't messing around, baby. Justin Fields doing his thing right now, man. Who would have thought that kid would have came on and been as tremendous as he has? I mean, for me, man, I'm loving it. I got my Yankees going on. My Oakland A's were in the playoffs. My Ohio State Buckeyes are doing it so far in football this year. I'm telling you, man. It's been a good year for me so far. <laughs> what year hasn't been a good year for you? Uh, I don't know, man. They've all been pretty good in my mind. <laughs> They've all been pretty good in my mind. I tell you what, man. It's just I just feel so blessed, man. I've been so fortunate to play for some unbelievable organizations. Obviously, Oakland being the one that I first started off with now. And to be able to do what I'm doing now, man, I'm just loving life, man. Just trying to enjoy every second of it because you never know when your last one's going to be. This game is one of the greatest games in the world, and it is dug and built into my chest, man. And each and every year it continues to grow and grow. So I'm just super stoked to be talking to you, especially talking about a game that I love because it's so easy to do this stuff. All right, Swish, we'll be watching you tomorrow night on television. Be well. You got it, baby. Oh, game four, throwing up the first pitch too, bro. Check it Are out. Are you really? <laughs> yes, sir. Oh. What an honor. I could not be. I'm so nervous. I am absolutely super, probably one of the more nerve-wracking moments of my life, but I cannot wait for it. You have to stand on the rubber. Oh, man, do I? I'm so nervous. I was thinking maybe I could stand in front of the mound, but now that you say it, bro, I'm going back to the rubber. I'm going to tow the rubber, my man. you got to tow the slab and make sure you throw a strike. Tow the slab. Oh, bro, no pressure, right? No pressure at all. Hey, have a safe flight. All right, my friend. Thank you, my man. You guys take care, bro. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.